to the Inexplicable Thoughts podcast. This is your host, Franklin. Today, I'm joined by my co-host for the day, Cameron. How you doing, Cameron? Doing well and dandy. How about you, Frank? Not too bad. I see you repping OSU. A little, little polo tee on right now. You know what time it is? Yeah, man. You know, this is a little work polo from last year. Uh, but, you know, I'm happy to wear the scarlet and gray going into this weekend on Monday. Hopefully, that excited for tomorrow? Or no, it's, it's Monday. Fuck, I forgot. It's yeah. Monday. Oh yeah, no. Nah, I mean, it's it's it's. I got scheduled for work. I think it's one of them call off type days. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's how I feel about tomorrow's Monday morning work and Tuesday morning work. Like tomorrow night, I got to watch the brownie show out, so I'm gonna be up late anyway. And then just going into work Monday is gonna be tough because I know I'm gonna have to like rewatch more football on Monday afternoon with the OSU game. So it's like you might as well just cancel those two days of work and call it a scrap. Like. We don't really need that right now. Like, there's more important things on TV to handle. But Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited. Um, kind of just interested in seeing, you know, where your head's at headed, heading into this game. You know, what what's your thoughts on, you know, the Justin Field situation with his ribs? And, you know, I'm, I'm obviously, you know, extremely nervous about the Devonta Smith matchup coming up pretty soon. Yeah, so um, I'm actually fairly confident. Like, I went into the Clemson game more nervous than I've been in recent years. I mean, last year was, I think we were the better team on paper and I think everybody saw that, and, you know, if it wasn't for interference from the refs and a lack of red zone production, um, it would have been a different outcome. But I went into that game knowing it's like, realistically, whoever wins this matchup between Clemson and Ohio State is probably going to win the championship. Um, and that's not to discredit anything about Bama. Bama has been great this year um, offensively. It's just over the past three seasons, I'd say, like SEC defenses don't scare me as much as they have in the past. Like, I mean, some of those old, yeah, like some of the steel curtain, like, you know, Crimson Tide, Bama teams, the saving had, like those, like, <laughs> you just had trenches built, you had DBs that can play linebacker, you know, and they, they were physical. But I mean, yeah. even last year, like LSU was the front runner team out that division. I mean, not the conference, but, you know, it was really the SEC has been mainly high powered offense, you know, versus like a good balance of defense. Like Georgia, um, Georgia has been still atop the ranks, usually like rushing and scoring. But I actually was doing some fact finding this morning just off this season alone, um, just some Big Ten defenses. Wisconsin was the number five best third down defense. Indiana, surprisingly, was the number one red zone defense. OSU had the third best turnover margin and the second best rush defense behind Georgia. And then Northwestern was fifth in scoring defense uh, in the FBS. And these was all FBS rankings. And then I went yeah. to the fact digging to last year, OSU was fourth in defensive scoring with Iowa fifth. OSU was number one pass defense, number one total defense. And Wisconsin came in at fourth um, overall total defense. And then Penn State was fifth in the rushing. So, like, this notion that, like, oh, like, you know, you got to come through the SEC. I'm just like, I mean, honestly, if we show that we can score with you, we can go bat for bat. Like, I I have a lot more confidence in that matchup than than years prior. The way I look at it is – and I, I agree with you. Um, interesting to to note the uh, the rankings of a couple of those defenses, all FBS. But the moment I realized that I'm not as worried about Alabama's defenses or offenses when I started talking about Alabama's team, 
And people were like, oh, they have a great O-line and Devonta Smith and Mac Jones and Najee Harris. And I was like, oh, that's great. And then no one mentioned a single defender. Like, that is the first time I've ever had a conversation about an Alabama football team. And someone didn't bring up, oh, they have a lockdown CB or they have a lockdown um, uh, safety or, uh, or there's a, a DN that's just ripping through offensive lines. There was no conversation of that. So that's something I mentioned in the Clemson game. Um, I had some mild uh, hesitancies with the Clemson game, and I agree with you. I thought that once whoever won that matchup between Ohio State and Clemson had a really good shot at the title um, against Alabama. But the thing that I noticed about both Alabama and Clemson is that they play in divisions where defense isn't really heralded. And so I openly told people, I was like, I'm not worried about Ohio State's defense in the long run because – we can always match up or overexceed the defense of the other team. It's the offense that needs to get going, and it's kind of the complacency that the offense has shown over the last two years with Ryan Day's system is that, you know, we'll come out and, like, try and figure things out early in the games, and then second half is, like, really where Ohio State, like, clicks. Like, same thing happened in, to me, for me in the OSU-Clemson game where, like, when Ohio State took the, the field on the second half, like, it was over as soon as the first quarter, or that third quarter was done. They chose like, violence. <laughs> like it, Ohio State chooses violence every second half they play. Like they come in, they're like, "All right, shut this shit down. Like we're done with this. Like we're about to murk everybody." And I'm like, "Just play that from the beginning. Like don't start with that energy in the second half. Start with the first half." And so that was why I was nervous. Was you know, can they come out with enough energy to match sort of the game plan that Dabo Sweeney had for you know, you know, coming out and really punching them in their teeth. And so I have the same feeling about Alabama. I'm like that first quarter for me with Justin Fields and how the offense is clicking is really going to say a lot to me. But the thing that really makes me optimistic is that Fields is top three in the class right now. I think he's one of the best QBs to play in the college division. More importantly, I think that Ryan Day has unlocked a system in which he trusts a lot of the offensive pass calling with Justin Fields that has allowed him to you know, become a dual threat quarterback to the best of his abilities, but more importantly, has allowed him to open up options um, up and down the field. Um, one of the things I really li- like noting, you know, in the Clemson game is I-, I don't know if anyone outside of Florida has really optimized the use of their tight ends quite as well as Ohio State has um, in that game. And so, you know, I think there was three touchdowns to tight ends in that game. There's two yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, Jeremy Rucker had two. And it was funny, right before the game, I was telling my boys, I was like, look, I was like, I know you haven't heard much of him this year. I was like, but this is a Jeremy Rucker type game. Uh, and, you know, he delivered. And Luke Farrell, shout out to Northeast Ohio, Perry, Ohio graduate. Let's go. Yeah, so uh, I love to see it. But, yeah, getting to what you're saying about the passing game, because, you know, Northwestern, their their secondary is no joke. Like, I think they had a freshman corner that got, like, freshman of the year in the Big Ten Conference, and he was first team all Big Ten. And that was the game we were missing Olave. And it's like, yeah, we do have crazy depth. Like, we recruit heavy in that position, uh, you know, with Julian Fleming, Jackson, Smith Jabba, and some of the other guys. Like, you know, we definitely have the depth to replace it. But, I mean, it's just – it's night and day seeing from that Northwestern game to the Clemson game, seeing, like, the timing. You know, like, Olave and or Fields are, like, on so much on the same page. Like, Fields is throwing it at his breaks. He knows exactly where he needs to be. Like, everything was just in sync. And the other unseen, unsung hero of our offense is really our offensive line. I mean, the past two years, I think we've probably had the best complete O-line in college football um, from a run blocking scheme, pass protection. I mean, you don't really see Justin really get pressured as much. I mean, and it, 
I mean, yeah, Trey Sermon is a great running back. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he's a great talent. And But the fact that we have so many other running backs, I mean, at the earlier in the season, everybody thought, like, oh, Master Teague's our next guy, which he still will be next year once Sermon graduates. But then, yeah. you know, some people question, oh, is, is J.K. Because I think J.K. finished. I actually had this um, project for work I had to do, put in chronological orders, like all 100-yard rushing games in Ohio State history. And when I got to the Dobbins era, it was just like 100, 100, 100. And he ended up finishing, I think he's like the second um, second all-time in like rushing yards as a Buckeye. But it's yeah. like when I contextualize that, I'm just like, he's definitely very skilled. He has a great second-level vision. But this was probably one of the best O-lines we've seen uh, in Ohio State history, like over these past two, three seasons. You got dudes like Wyatt Davis, a lot of experience, or tackles Thayer, Mumford. Josh Myers, like it's they they've been able to just control games at the line of scrimmage and make it everything so much easier. And that's why I have so much confidence going in this Bama game because they're their front fours, nothing really notable. I mean, Patrick Sertan uh, is probably gonna be like a first round, maybe slip the day two corner. Um, but outside of that, I think if we just focus on our A game, play to the best of our ability, um, we, we should be fine. But that Devontae Smith matchup is very interesting, though. And especially with Sean Wade, too, because he's definitely been catching a lot of criticism for his his play style. I mean, I think we all saw number 17 kind of cook him on that one. He put him through the blender. <laughs> but people got to realize, too, Sean Wade is playing a position that he never really has before. Like In the previous years, he's been well-suited as our nickelback. So he's playing more of like slot cornerback maybe sometimes like a little free safety action. But, you know, now he's being heralded as that, you know, that CB1. It's like he looks at his, everybody sees, oh, that's, you know, your first-round corner guy, you know, your DBU. And, you know, he's definitely shown some, um, you know, inconsistencies or some plays. It was the first eye-opener was that Penn State game. Jahan Dotson, when he went up, got the two back-to-back, like, one-hand catches, like the first one. (laughs) Then the second one was like mossed him. He fell out of bounds and he ran it in for the touchdown. So, um, but I think it's also a credit to the scheme that we play. Like uh, I was talking to a couple of my football coaching buddies, and you know they they watch the tape and they say like, yeah, we play a lot of like sit back coverages, like you know whether cover four or like cover three, where we're allowing you to get that short route and then just hoping that we come up and make the tackle. And uh, yeah. even with that, like he got cooked. But Kerry Coombs, our defensive coordinator was really the grandfather of DBU. He was the our cornerbacks coach from 2012 to 2017. So his last descendant was uh, Denzel Ward. And then once he left and went to the league, he was the D-backs coach for the Titans. And he tremendously helped them out. I think they shot up in rankings. They were like six in pass defense. Like we were like in the top three. Not trash without him. <laughs> yeah, and they were like. I, top- I pay attention to that. They dropped heavily in the the center back or, or the cornerback rankings after he left, um, and, and I, I definitely think that he was necessary to get Ohio State back to the level that we wanted them to get at. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, but even hats off to Jeff Hatley, um, current uh, Boston College head coach. Because last year that was my biggest gripe too. I'm just like, oh, I don't, I don't know what our defense is going to be, but. With the way Akuda cemented himself as like the best corner of football last year, then we've seen the progression from Arnett. Because Arnett used to kind of be a head scratcher for me, too. I'm just like, dude, like, you know, just sometimes like undisciplined. <laughs> it's like when you looked at like some of the uh, like pro football focus grades and some of the like 
the like completion percentage and single coverage, like it was him and him and Nakuda at the top of those lists for most of the year. I mean, and he ended up going first round. So, uh, but both doing all right in the NFL. I mean, they got some stuff to figure out, but so far, I I don't think you can be too disappointed with their performances based on you know how they performed. Absolutely, uh, I've definitely seen some great plays made by Barnett. I, the one I, I, that it, it really hurt my soul because it definitely altered our, you know, our Browns playoff picture was that uh, Miami game, you know. And then you look on the, they had the little stat graphic where it's showing like everybody's like assignment, and they were in cover two, but it was like a cover two sink, so like the outside corners supposed to drop if anything goes behind them, and it's like you know dwindling time, no timeouts left. You know, and it, it, it was terrible with the face mask call, but, you know, he bit on the short route, let that receiver get past him. You know, Mr. Fitzpatrick with the face mask grab just fitted through the gap and they ended up getting a field goal range. But, you know, outside of that, I mean, I know he's battled injury too, but I've definitely seen some high points from him this season. Uh, and I know they're excited to watch the Buckeyes take the field Monday. And bring it, and bring it back All right, there. so what do you think is going to be the biggest determinant of this Alabama matchup, and how do you think we can win win this game? You know, pretty pretty dominantly. Um, I saw my all right. So I think our biggest X factor going into this game is going to be pressure. Um, our front four, and I really like our front four. I know everybody was questioning, like, oh, we lose Chase Young, and you know. But if you really know, like, we have the best defensive line coach in the country. Like, Larry Johnson, year in and year out, just produces. It doesn't, like, it doesn't matter if he was getting a blue-chip five-star or, like, a local guy. Like, he's always going to produce in the D-line. And um, when I saw last game from, like, we were getting pressure from, you know, Tyreek Smith. We have a lot of experience on that D-line. And I think we can really try to exploit the inexperience of Mac Jones. Like, Mac Jones. He came in last year after, like, you know, tools, battling injury, kind of finished out the season. And it was definitely a, a low light for Alabama. They didn't, you know, reach a college football playoff. I think they what, had, like, two or three losses last year, I think two. Um, yeah. If we're able to get with him with our four-man front, which I have, I have high regard that we can, I really like Tommy Togiai, uh, D-tackle. He's a junior. He's really blossomed this year with the increased snap count. Haskell Garrett has been phenomenal. I mean, it's just the story of him preseason. You know, he got shot in the face, like literally a bullet went right through his cheek, uh, like yeah. early in the season before the season even started. And I think he just, I think he just snagged a, an a unanimous All American uh, nah, for his production. So I, I think, I think this is a game for the silver bullets. Um, you know, just like I talk highly on our O line. We see our production from our D line, like we're able to dial up pressure and we can get them to third and longs and make sure that we're getting them off the field and getting their their punt unit out. I think that would be the uh, the biggest key because the what really scares me is like Devontae Smith's definitely a scary receiver. Like you know he's definitely going to be a match crazy, yeah, crazy. But you know <laughs> holding them to the Alabama standard. Like my friend told me this and he made a good point. It's like even though he rightfully deserved the Heisman this year, when you really look back in a couple past seasons, it's going to be hard to like say that, you know, he got the Heisman over, you know, Amari Cooper. Wide receivers. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the Julio era, like, you know, even, you know, and there's a lot of people that yeah. had people were, people were bringing up, like, I, I think there was like 10 or 12 receivers named in the last decade that had better stats than him on like receptions, yards, touchdowns. 
But I think that that is relevant, but it's also irrelevant because in the uh, bubble that is, you know, COVID football and the bubble that is Alabama football, you don't really see Alabama wide receivers go that crazy. And then two, just compared to the field, I wasn't really that impressed with Trevor Lawrence's season. I wasn't really that impressed by Mac Jones' season. I still think Kyle Trask is a hot pack of ass. I don't know why people like Kyle Trask. He's going to be horrible. He's going to be horrible in the NFL. I don't understand. He's going to be so bad in the NFL. But I just think when you give me those four candidates, I I would have to go with Devonta Smith just because he did everything he could to win. I think without him, the Alabama team would struggle a lot. I think uh, with Waddle out, um, due to either is it injury or is it to COVID? Yeah, angle, but they're teetering, saying that it might be a possibility he comes back and suits up. But we'll we have to but see. I just I think with with what everything he was able to show, and you know him being an undersized athlete, and you know even just doing kick returns for touchdowns, and just like that explosiveness, it's just hard for me to look at him and be like, he's not, you know, warranted for this reward over the other three. The other thing that I like that you mentioned is you know it's my key for the game. I'm not convinced Mac Jones is the most, uh, what's the word for it? The most complete project that, you know, Alabama could have. I think Tua was better. I think that Jalen Hurts was better. I think that, uh, who was there before? No, 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 no. It it was Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts transferred. But I'm just not convinced with, Mac Jones out of those three, I think that Mac Jones is a great QB. I think he'll be a very serviceable QB in the NFL. I, I like his game. I like his height. Um, I, I think that, you know, in regards to pressure situations, I think that it goes back to the fact that he played in the SEC all, all, all year. I think that people really underrate the stability of a conference in regards to um, the ability to create pressure and, and really drive results from other teams. I think that you know, with the decline of Oklahoma and Georgia over the last two years in regards to top level quality and their ability to compete with the big dogs, um, it's allowed teams like Alabama to just really, um, you know, to chime into their offense. I think that Alabama has, you know, leaned more on their offense the last two years and it's shown, Um, especially when when you mentioned the fact they missed the playoffs last year. That was hugely on the, the defense. Like the defense got torched last year by LSU. They got torched by all the teams that they lost to. And that's the reason why I'm not that convinced by um, what's going on right now with that team in regards to um, their ability to compete against top-level talent. I'm I'm not saying that OSU is going to straight torch their O-line or anything, but if you can send different looks at Mac Jones throughout the game to, you know, sort of make him get outside of his comfort zone, I think that's my biggest thing. It doesn't have to even be on the – the you know front four it could be you know just sending a safety into you know blitz on a on a different play like sending him different things to you know he has to react you know in game and I think that Mac Jones you know he's gonna have to show me if he's worth you know th- that first round grade that he's currently p- projected at but I'm I'm just not convinced of that yet and I think that if you if you send him the right looks I think you'll create enough pressure that he'll turn the ball over I think that uh our our, our D line's done a great job I think they had two fumbles almost three in that Clemson game. I think their ability to really get out there and compete is, is great. I think the, the, the biggest X factor for me is the history. Um, we, we've beaten Alabama, um, the, the championship we won, we, we want, we beat them in the semifinals. I think that the biggest thing for me right now is they're very energized. Uh, I think there's a huge, um, selling point for the OSU football team on the line with this. I think that if we beat Clemson and Alabama in, in, in a very, determining fashion in back-to-back games. I think all this bullshit people have been talking about with the Big Ten sort of gets tabled for the next 
year or two just because we have a national championship we came off the covid year you know they can call it the mickey mouse ring or whatever but at the end of the day we smashed clemson and if we smashed alabama we can definitely say hey we're one of the best programs in the country um we're number two in wins all time like i people i feel like people forget that we're the top program in the country in regards to wins championship wise and uh, but manny jones actually made a great point about this and i agree with him but it's hard for us to make those claims sometimes because people look at you know national ch- titles as a, a determining factor but we we didn't have any for a 30-year period which is understandable but like the 80s like i wasn't born then i don't really care about yeah. that i'm sorry like That's 90s thousands <laughs> and 2010s is the only thing that carries 30-year samples all i need the last 30 years we've been solid so yeah. as long as we start the 2020s with a, a solid ring you know i'm gonna be, i'm gonna be pretty happy so um, I'm very optimistic. I think that, you know, Brian Day has done a great job of coaching that team. I think the boys are hungry and I'm excited to see, you know, what they come out with and, and really show us in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just circling back to 1.2. I mean, we we made Travis ATN kind of a non-factor. I looked at the stats from last game, too. We held him to 40, like 30 yards. Yeah, we held him to 44 rushing yards on 22 attempts. So. Like you said, like it was, it was definitely beyond. Like I think Coons definitely going to be in the film room. He's definitely going to be dialing up some some disguising fronts to to see if Mac Jones is like that. But yeah, no, the hype up on this game is beautiful, and it's just a lot more classy of a matchup. Like I mean, the the <laughs> Dabo really dug his own grave with that one, and that's what made the victory so sweet because he was just doing all this like jaw jacking. Like, and I have high respect for Saban. And Alabama program, but yeah. Hell yeah. You can't talk you can't I can't talk shit on Alabama. Like those boys are serious. Like we know what time it is there. But Clemson, I'm gonna get into my like Davo pack right now, because we were lighting that up on that OSU Clemson game. But he is so arrogant. He's so overrated. I think that in regards to his legacy, he's gonna go down as one of the top heralded coaches ever. But I think the biggest thing for him is that he's had two of the greatest QBs in college history. Um, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence are two great QBs in the college level. Deshaun Watson, obviously being a baller right now at the NFL level, we'll see how Trevor Lawrence pans out in the future. I think I think it'll be great too. Um, but the combined records of those two, it's like six losses in like seven years. Like that's unreal. Yeah. The fact that they both threw for ten thousand yards and ninety plus touchdowns. Um, and that in that period is is something that you would dream of. Like that's just not something you could regularly get. And I think that people forget that the t- time period between Deshaun Watson and Trevor was a couple of years. And in those years, Dabo wasn't really relevant. You know, when they had that little break in between, I don't know who that QB was. Like no one talks about who that QB was because it wasn't relevant. We didn't care about that team. Um, I, I think that's going to happen again. I, I'm I'm not. You know, I think that the QB that's coming into the Trevor Lawrence's uh, replacement is going to be solid. I just don't think he'll be as great as Trevor Lawrence. Um, and I'm interested to see how how they react and how they how they get back to their recruiting. But I think that people are forgetting that Clemson has slipped down the recruiting ranks over the last five years. Like every year, year over year, they've gotten worse and worse in recruiting in regards to prospects. And I definitely think that shows in regards to how people view Dabo and how players view Dabo and his ability to really get new recruits into the building. Um, and so it, it'll be interesting to me, but uh, it, it's something to obviously keep an eye on. But I think OSU will be fine next year. I think um, Alabama will be fine next year. I think a lot of the top programs will be fine next year. The only thing that makes me nervous about OSU is the quarterback situation. Obviously, I think our wide receiver is going to be amazing next year. 
run game is going to be smooth. I'm interested to see who enters the transfer portal because I definitely think some talent will try and come to Ohio State and uh, do a little ring chasing, call us the Warriors, you know, run it up real quick, though. Chase um, Sermon came over and was like, I know what time it is. You know, yeah, I know what time it is. And so I think that's going to happen again uh, in, the ne- in the next year. And so I'm interested to see that. But the, the next thing I actually wanted to talk to you about is, uh, you know, we, we mentioned Deshaun Watson in the NFL. And obviously there's rumors around, you know, what's going on with him. But there's something happening tomorrow night that uh, that requires a lot of attention. That, that Browns-Steelers matchup. What, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Man, I mean, just like – just to put it in summary, like the Browns exceeded my expectations this year. I coined them at 10 and six. I thought we were going to split with the AFC South. I had us losing to the Titans, losing to the Colts. At the beginning of the season, if everybody stayed healthy, I had us splitting with NFC East just because I was like, all right, Philly might be, you know, a tough game. I was like, yes. yeah, the Cowboys, they, I mean, they, they fell apart. Um, you know, their O-line decimated. And then I thought we were going to go four and two in the division. So my prediction ended up shaking out. We swept both divisions, ended up going uh, three and three in the division. But we ended up dro- dropping our respective three seed games against the Raiders and the Jets, which kind of sucked. But so all in all, happy. Like Andrew Berry came in, he set the foundation. He's like, look, he's like, I'm going to get you an O line. I'm going to get you weapons. Like Baker, I don't know. I'm not trying to hear any more excuses. You got what yeah. you need. Stefanski came in, and I really like the the dynamic of our front office coaching mechanism because Stefanski, they all played in the Ivy League together. I think uh, Stefanski was at Penn. Yeah, he was at Penn. He played DB. Um, then Andrew Berry was at Harvard. And then I think one of our presidents was also at, in a, at Penn as well. But they're all like Ivy League. They were all like, I think, selected at Ivy League DB, like all Ivy League team at one point. So it was just high IQ, high acumen people in the right positions. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited about our future. But getting to our Brown-Steelers game, I hate to say it. This might be a hot take. I kind of like this is the the adversity that just screams like a Browns win to me for some reason. Like our, our team is decimated through COVID. Like COVID came in hot to end the year. It's like, oh, hold on. Y'all thought I was done. Swoop receivers, swoop. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's hitting the NBA right now. The NBA is starting to get a little frantic with these travel yeah, schedules. They've been canceling games. Yeah, they're getting a little sprinkling of it. But I mean, and then just like the storyline. Yeah, we beat, you know, we beat uh, we beat the Steelers with Rudolph. So I mean, I'll take it. It was a win. You know, we definitely um had some stuff. But that was the thing about the Browns the whole year. Like, yeah, we finished eleven and five, but it's so like I have so much more optimism for the future because we went eleven and five, and like there's so much room for improvement. Like our 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 D backs wanted me to pull my hair out most of the game. Like sometimes glaring like inconsistencies on offense, like underusing Chubb. Like I think at one point in that uh in that Steelers game, I think the first half like Chubb had only had no. It was like in the Jets game, he had only had like seven carries at one point. I'm just like, dude, yeah. you have the best rusher. There were some O-line issues in that game, but I definitely agree with you that there were moments where, you know, even my friends and I, we were in group chats and we were like, I don't know what Stefanski's doing right now. Like, this is this should not be the game plan that we're, we're you know, sort of running right now. It was the same thing in the Jets' loss that happened in the Raiders' loss where we just completely abandoned the run and the other team kept with the run and then we just got screwed in the long run because they were able to establish a run game. 
and thus they were able to pass when they could and and get things going. And I think that that's something that you know obviously Stefanski is going to work out in the next year. Um, I, I'm I'm pleasantly optimistic about this game. I'm not ignoring the fact that the Steelers have lost four of their last five games, one of them to the Browns. I don't care what anyone says about, oh, they were sitting T.J. Watt. Oh, they were sitting Hayden. I don't care about that. They got smoked by the Redskins. Who the hell else did they lose to? They Washington. lost. Huh? I said Washington football team. <laughs> Whatever. Washington football team. They, they lost to, I think they lost to, uh, who am I forgetting right now? They lost to the Bengals. They lost to. Bills wiped them. Yeah, Bills crushed them in that game. Yeah, like I, I uh, Washington football team and Bengals are better than the Browns, and that was a healthy, a healthy Steelers team. They had people. I think they lost Bud Dupree during one of those games, but otherwise they were healthy in most most of those losses. So I'm not really worried. I think Big Ben. Um, someone, some people on on NFL Twitter have mentioned that he's the comeback player of the year over Alex Smith, coming back from that injury and, and looking somewhat solid. Over the course of the first 11 games, maybe, but over the last five games, I think he's looked pretty bad, especially because he lost me a place in the uh, fantasy football championships by putting up a fat eight points in a semifinal game against the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, But I I think that for me, um, it's just one of those things where it's uh, what's the what's the word for it, where it's like it's like a teaser, like everyone expects it to go one way. But I have a weird feeling that it's like buzzer beater, you know, Baker to Jarvis Landry, four-yard slant, T, one by three, game over with like five seconds left. And that's all you got to do is just kick the ball and get it on the field. Um, and so that's that's kind of what I'm expecting is a close game, but it's going to be a good one to watch. I think that as long as we can limit the amount of in- the interference we get from refs, uh, it'll obviously um, help the Browns out a lot. Um, either way, I think it's a tough matchup in the next round for either team. I, I think that with the Steelers, um, you know, possibly getting the Bills or, you know, the Ravens, whoever it may be. I just think the AFC this year is extremely stacked. It is. I think that, uh, and I've had this argument with you on Twitter in regards to the Packers thing. AFC is better than NFC. It's just, it's we got to just move past this and accept the AFC is better than the NFC. And so you got to do whatever you can to stay competitive in this league. But the AFC is stacked right now. All yeah. the best QBs of the last five to six years that have been drafted ended up in the AFC. Daniel Jones is in the NFC. Sucks. Deshaun or Dwayne Haskins, NFC. Sucks. But we have Mahomes in our league. We got Baker in our league. We got Lamar in our league. We got Tua. Um, we have we lost Colomers in the other division, um, oh. other conference. Deshaun Watson. Fuck, who else is in the AFC Mahomes. right now? Mahomes, boy. Yeah, I said Mahomes. Uh, I mean, Burrow just, has some promise, you know what I'm saying? Some of the, like, lower. True. Uh, but no, I definitely the Browns have The Browns have three QBs in this division that are, are really good. Like, I definitely agree. Like with, our, like, with our argument, I was more, like, centering on just the strength of the NFC North. But I definitely agree. Like, I, I told people this year, I was like, it, I'm like, you – the AFC North is always kind of like an indicator of the strength of the AFC. Like when you look at like earlier in the decade when it was like, you know, the Ravens and the Steelers with the AB era and you still had like, you know, January Joe Flacco. Um, and even the Bengals were still like kind of sprinkling and get a wild card berth and get bounced first round. That was like when the AFC was at, was at its peak, you know, then you had like Peyton, 
uh, from, you know, the Colts, the Broncos, Brady, just running everything. So, no, I definitely agree that the AFC is stacked. Um, and it, it's kind of making the playoff picture a little bit more crowded. Yeah, it, it's hard to predict anything because, I mean, there's there's really a lot of reasonable paths for people. Like, I can see, you know, the, I can see the Chiefs catching fire maybe again. Like, even though they look lackluster the past couple weeks, you know, I can see them turning it on. It's like, hold on, like, relax. I can see the Bills, you know, gaining traction, building on what they have. Like, I think they got the defense back healthy. Tredavious is a top three corner in the league. That you know, um, but uh, getting back to the Brown Steelers thing, I like it just so much just because we don't have that many expectations, and I think that's when we do well. It's like you know, people expect us to lose; they probably expect us to go outside. But the one thing that the Steelers have the inability to, and I had an argument with a, a Steelers fan on Twitter earlier this season, they're not a good, they're not good at running the ball, and I know yeah. they had some O line injuries. I think like Pouncey's been in and out the lineup, and lost some people over the years, but like, you know, it's going to get cold. It's going to be cold in Hinesfield on Sunday. And, you know, that's the running, running the ball. Like it's more than just running. It's, it's, I feel like it's a mental game. It's like in basketball. It's like the team that controls the boards controls the game. Like it's just a matter of, it's a measurement of toughness. So you got to keep expecting Ben to throw the ball 40 times a game. It's just not going to work. It's it's not going to work against this team. Um, and I, I do agree with that. I think James Conner, I had him in fantasy, has been extremely disappointing. He started off the season well, but sort of faded as of late, um, not even as of late, over the last eight games. Um, I, I think that they're one of the worst rushing teams in the league. And I think that with Miles Garrett, you know, all pro this year, sort of hitting his stride even more so than lately, um, you know, with us losing, you know, one or two defensive weapons. I think, who was it that got injured? Olivia Vernon. Vernon. That was a huge loss. He had eight uh, sacks in five weeks, in the past five weeks. Yeah. Like, um, so I expect some younger players to step up, but come on now. Like, you, if you can't rush the ball, like, you know what you're about to see. Like, we're about to come at you hard. Like, it's the same thing with the Bama game. Like, you really just got to understand – the expectations on the QB and how he'd be able to adapt. I think the biggest thing in our advantage is that Ben can't run for shit unlike Mac Jones. Um, so you don't really expect him to creep out. So you're, if you don't see, you know, a, a play action with uh, James Conner or Benny Snell, I think that you can really, you really get to them um, in the trenches. Um, the one thing I'm, I'm looking forward to is sort of the matchups at corner, corner, the corner position. Cause I think that the, Browns corners versus the Steelers corners is going to be the the most uh, exciting part of the game. I think that with the current pool of weapons that the Browns and Steelers have, it's very enticing to see who comes out with the better um, pass catchers this week. I think Claypool has been great as a rookie. Um, Juju has been Juju. Deontay Johnson and uh, Dwayne Washington have been have been interesting to follow. I think that it was shown the other week that. The Steelers are the first team in a long time to have five different receivers have five five or more touchdowns. I think Eric Ebron caught a touchdown against the Colt to make against the Colts to make that history. Um, and, and so, so for me, it's like we have three three solid tight ends. We have Jarvis. We have Hodge if he's available. We have Hollywood Brown, but we still got Hollywood. Luckily, yeah, Hollywood. I don't know. Why I said Hollywood Brown, but Hollywood. Um, we have. You know, we have options out there. We have Nick Chubb who can catch. We have, you know, Kareem Hunt. So I think that that's going to be very enticing. I don't have any confidence in the Steelers' run defense, and that's what I think is going to really set us apart is Nick Chubb's about to feast on that team. Like, 
absolutely feast on that team in regards to the run game. Um, so I'm optimistic about that. One thing I do want to discuss with you, since we are on this topic of the NFL, your Packers. Mm-hmm. What's what's the what round they losing in this year, my boy? <laughs> you say I can't what round it. are they losing this year, my boy? <laughs> hey, look, and I'm gonna I'm give you, I'm gonna give it to you straight, no chaser, no fandom attached. This out of this might be their most promising window to get to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying win the Super Bowl just because of home field advantage. Like the past couple years in the playoffs, like yeah, they've been division winners, but like after the first round. They, they're getting mixed up, and they're going to have to play road games. Um, and I think Lambeau is really an environmental advantage. Like, it's blisteringly cold. They know the conditions. Um, I mean, and this has just been a really impressive year. Like, after the offseason they had last year, I was really kind of down on them. I'm just like, wow, like, you just missed the playoffs with McCarthy. I think they went, like, 6-10. and 10. Like, literally just missed the playoffs. You had a beast offseason. You uh, brought in Adrian Amos from the Bears. You brought in the Smith brothers for some much-needed pass rushes. There, he's impressive. They've been great. Yeah. Um, you know, then you're seeing the, the the maturity of, like, Jair Alexander, you know, emerge as, like, an elite corner in the league. I'd say, like, top five press man. Uh, Kevin King's been solid. Darnell Savage was a great pickup from Maryland. You go from that, boom, 13-3. and three. You just kind of opened up a championship window. I mean. Let's be real. It's like, you know, the division, it goes up and down. Like, you know, the Vikings won it, Bears won it. But, you know, I, I definitely see their interest. It's like, okay, like, you can win this division uh, with this team. Um, and just from that, like, to go Jordan Love in the first round, I'm just like, dude, like, address your needs. Rush defense. That's kind of been our Achilles heel of, like, the 49ers. Like, going into the uh, playoff game last year with the 49ers, from seeing what they did to us in the regular season, I was like, oh, no. I was like, we have no chance of beating them again. Like, I was kind of already thrown in the towel for that matchup. I'm just like, with Shanahan's run scheme, that old line, they were mauling him at the line of scrimmage. And Bakhtiari was getting was getting punished. Like, Bosa, Bosa was giving them lunch and dinner. Like, <laughs> like it was hard. <laughs> I'm an old state boy, you know what I'm saying? And, like, I love my pack. I love Aaron Rodgers. But I'm just like, man, he's getting lunched on. And that's always kind of been the Achilles heel, too, with uh, Rodgers. You know, he doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. That's one of, you know, the things that cements him great. great. Like, but, like, when you dial up pressure for him and, like, he starts going throwing interceptions, it's it's something up here is, like, it, it's definitely demoralizing. You can see it. Like, that Bucks game, even this year, they were up 10-zip. You know, they get the ball again. I'm thinking, okay, this can be a nice dagger drive to put it in cruise control. You know, boom, pick six. All right. You know, shake it off. And they come next drive. You know, he's trying to hit Devontae on that slant, goes off his fingertips, pick again. Damn near almost another six, uh, pick six, two picks in their ter- in their own territory. And, uh, like, at that point, I just kind of knew the game was out of their hands. I was like, dang. I was like, you know, then they began to run the ball. But realistically, I'll, I'll give this NFC prediction because I know you're probably going to be surprised with this, but I'm not writing off the books like everybody else was. Like, yeah, they went through some – they they went through some midseason turbulence. Okay, like they're still finding their fit, but at the end of the day, they were probably one of the more complete teams on both sides of the ball in that conference. You got the experience at the helm of Brady, one of the best weaponries he's ever had. Um, a old line that's solid and young when they're healthy. A defense, a front seven that's lethal. Their only Achilles heel is really their back end, but 
you still see some good spurts from like uh, the safety Antoine Winfield from Minnesota. He was definitely a beast in the Big Ten. But I, honestly, my prediction is if they get past Washington, which we'll get to later, because I don't think that's an easy game. Um, I think I think I think whoever wins the NFC comes from that side of the bracket. It's either going to be Bucks or Packers. Because I mean, I don't know. It's just they. The second, this is the second year with the floor. I'm seeing the offense is settled in. Everything is nice and marinated. Like, I, it, as a Packers fan, you just watch it with so much more confidence. I'm like, hey, we got the consistent running game with Aaron Jones. He's emerged as like a top 10 back. We've had, I think, we had four first team all pro players. We had an all pro center, Bakhtiari, which is a huge loss, by the way. He's out for the season. Uh, Devontae yeah, cemented himself in like that top five, top three conversation. Uh, and that was the thing. I've never, I was never one of those like Roger defenders or Packers fans. Like, oh, he doesn't have enough offensive help. I was always alluding more towards like the defensive holes because you know some teams like you, you when you have more sort of stability and uh, sustainability at that position, it can mask sometimes your the the woes and the the shortcomings of your offensive game. It's like, okay, I know our defense can you know get a stop when needed, like Ben don't break, but. Even this year, I have to even tip my hat, and I can't even use the defense excuse. They've been a lot better defensively. I think they're thirteen. They've been cooking. Yeah, 13th right now in the right. Air Alexander is nasty. That boy's a, a shutdown corner. Shutdown. Alexander doesn't let anything come his way. You don't even want to look his way. And he talks his shit. And I think you know, I saw this graphic. It was like Darnell <laughs> Safety. I mean, Darnell Savage was like one of the highest graded safeties in like pro football. Folks. I think he was like top five. So everything's coming to fruition. And uh, Rashawn Gary, it was the draft pick we had, I think. Two years ago. Yeah, two years ago from Michigan. He's matured well. He's been seeing a more like pass rush situation. And we just, they just signed Snacks Harrison, uh, Damon Harrison at D tackle. So we'll see. I mean, I'm really excited for this playoff slate. I'm I'm ready to brace for the slander if we lose. Uh, I'll probably go AWOL for a little bit. Stay away from you. Fam, if they lose, I'm lighting that pack. I'm here. Let's go. All right, I'm, I'm here. here. Let me. Oh my god! American this moment. I know you're waiting for it. So, like, here's what's about to happen. First of all, I'll have a cigar and some scotch ready to go. Aaron Rodgers is getting that ass out of here. I'm sorry, but here's what's gonna happen. It's the same thing that happens every year. People oh. are gonna blame the defense. Even though they have, as you said, Darnell Savage, Rashawn Gary, Zadarius Smith, and Jair Alexander. They have, I think, four all pros, a couple of a lot of pro bowlers this year. I think they have a great defense. It's probably one of the best defenses they've had in a long time. But the thing that no one wants to discuss that has been a problem in every single game that I've watched Aaron Rodgers lose over the last two years, that man is not a second half QB. He's not. I'll give you he that. is not a second half QB. I don't understand how we don't discuss this enough. He's great in the first half. It's the opposite of OSU. He'll come out and kill you in the first half. That second half, it's like autopilot mode. I don't understand what's happening. It was the same thing that happened in the Colts game. They blew that lead because every time, and, and people are always like, well, he can't do anything because it's his defense is blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dude, like, he's not keeping his offense on the field long enough to like get anything going. People were blaming uh, the fumble for uh, in the Colts game against Aaron Rodgers and I was like how do you get how do you blow a 14 point lead and then blow it on a, yeah, a last minute fumble you should have you should have never been in that position I feel you but with the Colts game I get it like we came out you know blasting them 28 14 lead but like if you know the Colts too is like they're eventually somewhere somehow somewhere gonna get themselves back in the game I can't lie like I definitely 
I agree with that just as a Packers fan because I see like that second half, we kind of get complacent. It reminds me of like sometimes those like those Urban Meyer, like O State teams where it's like, you know, we get a lead or we just we play real conservative and real complacent. I'm just like, no, we still need to put the foot on it, guys. Get another score, get another cushion, then put on uh throw. But no, that Colts game, he came out flat second half. I think they had forced like two or three straight three and outs. But that last drive to get to get the field goal, I am not trying to hear. It was fourth and ten on their own five. He throws a straight dot to Devontae Middlefield. He come here, orchestrates the drive, gets in the field goal range, they win the coin toss, <laughs> he fumbles it. And like, I'm not gonna blame that game on MVS. He's not the reason we lost, but it was just it's always just like no. sometimes like an inopportune robbery of us seeing like what he can do like on that last drop. Like remember, I think it was two years ago. Yeah. The year they went thirteen and three. Well, actually, no. I, no, this was no, I think this was two years ago. But it was when they played the it was when the Rams were red hot. Um and I remember it was like the last it was I think yeah, Ty Montgomery. Remember it was like a Ty Montgomery kickoff and I think it was like either the first possession of OT or like the last possession of the game. The game was tied. Or if, if they were down three, he literally takes it out of his end zone, fumbles on the kickoff, and I'm just like, dang, it's like you just wiped away another opportunity for him to show us like he can't lay game close. Like I can't, I can't, you know, put him over other people in like terms of late late game drives and stuff like that. Um, there's definitely other people with a bit larger clutch genes. I'll give that to Brady. That's my one edge. Always with the Brady Rogers argument. It's always skills versus intangibles. Like Brady is definitely wiping him in all the intangibles, leadership, poise, you know, yep. uh, resilience. But like when I'm just saying like pure, like pure talent, like I always like give the edge to Rodgers. But I'm not saying that he can't be clutch and he's not clutch. It just in the recent sample size, we haven't seen a lot of opportunities for him to either, you know, it's either he winces away, it's like he gets a lead, and then, you know, kind of low-key decays away somebody, sometimes by some other factors. But I don't know. I, I think I think you got a chip on the shoulder from this year. I think that Jordan Love thing was personal, and I was salty because I uh, I was telling people, as soon, soon after they drafted Jordan Love, I'm like, oh, I'm like, I might have to sprinkle in a little Aaron Rodgers MVP next season. I ended up taking Wilson. And after <laughs> six weeks, I thought it was cash money. It was like plus 2,000 odds. It was like 10 to win 200. I'm like, oh. And he started th- turning the ball over. Then it's like, dang, seeing my boy. some ass, bro. Yeah, he, was <laughs> he was so trapped. <laughs> that midseason. Five and one through week six. And I thought it was good money by then. Yeah, for real. Five bro. and one. <laughs> but, you know, Rodgers ended up pulling out. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Like, I, and even if they don't get it done this year, I think they still have an open window to. They still, because, like, like I said with the Browns, like, yeah, they went. You know, uh, thirteen and three. Uh, you know, but I see so much room for improvement. Like I can see improvements on our rush defense. Uh, you know, because honestly, if they if they get blown out again, it, it might be Mike Pettin on the hot seat season. Like for real, like <laughs> <laughs> for real. I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah, it's like I saw this like graphic. It's like dang, it's like Rogers. Rogers like averages like you know. 31 point, 31, like 31 plus points allowed on like playoff losses. I'm just like, damn, like if only, if only, if only, but you know, I'm not going to pray for that. He puts himself in winning uh, situations with his arm talent and his IQ. So uh, I'm really interested for this playoffs for real, but one team that I'll really put who's on your, the who's your dark horse. You said what? On my dark horse. Who's, who's the team in the hot seat? 
The, oh, my team. Start with you first. Here's your team on the hot seat. If they don't get it done, the Saints on my hot seat. Saints. Saints, thousand percent. Like, <laughs> Drew Brees' last season, a hundred percent. Dude, I mean, over the past three seasons, they've been the best team on paper. They have like a top ten O line, top ten defense. You know, the, the number, top Michael Thomas players, Camaro, Michael Thomas, Brees. I'm like, bro, get it done. Like, there's no. You got bounced twice by the Vikings. Uh, in like you know the NFC Championship game. Uh, I mean, not the NFC Championship game. The semis. Minnesota Miracle, and then you know Rudolph bagging them last year in the uh, end zone. <laughs> yeah, and then, I mean the Rams, you know that Rams. That was uh, it was iffy. I was like, damn, that was a pi. Was but a was they, they had a yeah, they had a comfortable lead that whole game. They had multiple opportunities to put that game away, but you let them creep back, and you let the you know your game get decided by the refs. So it's like, uh, kind of dig that grade. But they would have won that game. They would have won the Super Bowl that year too. Oh, easily. I told people, I was like, I wanted to see Breeze versus Brady, and the Saints were winning that year. But they would have won that game against Brady. <laughs> Man, Brady was so happy. He got to see fucking bum-ass Jared Goff in the Super Bowl that year. That was the worst Super Bowl. Yeah. Saints would have lit that defense up. Lit it oh, up. Oh, my yeah. But, yeah, uh, Saints have a lot of pressure. There's a lot of people putting money on the Bears to upset them, and I'm honestly not mad at it because it's just like it's the Saints. Like they're the biggest choke artists. Like it's they're the Clippers, slow key of choking. Like it doesn't make sense how they can be so good and just Man. choke away teams. For real? Um, I mean, I, I, I think that that I would take the spread though. The spread was at like nine. I mean, I think it's a safer bet taking that than the uh, Saints, but. I can see it. I think they're on the hot seat. Um, Lamar obviously knows he's on the hot seat with the Ravens. Can't two, two, three years of playoff duds is just not going to get it done. I don't think he's been that bad. I think that the biggest uh, handicap for Lamar Jackson is that he has no offensive weapons. Like the Ravens need to drop draft wide receivers. Like I don't get it. Like Marquise Brown's five eight. Like. It's not doing him any justice. Willie Sneed got dumped by the Saints for a reason, and you think he's going to be your number one wide receiver. The biggest thing is, is though, people ignore the fact that they had to go and get Des Bryant. Like, they had to go get Des Bryant. That's how shitty their wide receiver core is. Like, they are buns out there on the wide receiver core. Um, but he's on the hot seat. I think that if they really want to get it done, they're going to have to rely on the rushing, which they've done over the last couple of games. I think they're, they've averaged – they've had, like, 1,300 yards via rushing over the last like five games, which is absurd. Um, and I think they can get it done against that weak Titans uh, secondary. If Mark Andrews can fucking catch a ball this year, um, yeah. cause last year pissed me off. Cause Lamar threw some like dimes and people were just like fumbling like, the ball. And I'm just like, bro. Yeah. I'm just like, dude, like that was my thing. It's like, okay. Like, he like, has one job. <laughs> for real. Like the first year Lamar was in the playoffs and he was playing Anthony Lynn's chargers. It was like the chargers were good that year. Like I mean, because you know, I think Shannon They're even 12 and had four, right? Yeah, they were twelve and four. I think that was like Shannon because Derwin was healthy. I think that was Derwin's rookie year. You had it was like, all pro people, year, yeah, all pro year. Like Bosa, Ingram returned. Like Desmond King, like you know Casey Hayward still. But they didn't really open like their the Greg Roman offense looked a lot different. I think they brought him in after, after that season because they really didn't open up the playbook for Lamar. But then like that next season, mm-hmm. the MVP season, that's when they formulated something around him. But even last year, I did call the Titans upset just because I had a feeling Vrabel would outcoach them. The one thing that's the Achilles heel with the Ravens, they're not a good team coming from behind. 
Like if you get, if you count them and get out to them early, get that like first couple punches. It's gonna be hard for them to come back, just like you said, because their lack of weaponry. They don't like they're they're a slow, methodic. You know, run the game, run the game. They get big chunk plays sometimes from their feet, but you don't really see it so much from the air as much. I mean, and you do, but when you do, it's like a byproduct. It's like okay, they've been gashing us. They ran it five straight times. Play action. Oh, boom! I got Andrews down the scene. Touchdown. You know. That's how they get their chunk. So, the, the reason I the reason why I realized it was, you know, a lot of times when you watch Mahomes or you watch Brady or you watch whoever, like I saw a lot of big dime passes from Brady to like it's not Ty Johnson, but Scott Scotty, Scotty Miller. Yeah. Or Mike Evans or Chris Godwin and be like, oh, 50 yard bomb. Like I, I still have the the Bucks um Vikings game touchdown where he threw like a sixty yard bomb, and I think the Scotty Miller etched into my head or my homes to Tyreek. How many times do you see Lamar just boom it 60 yards down the field? Not a lot because he doesn't have, have anyone to like really do that to. Like it, it doesn't really, there's no one to stretch the field. He's got a bunch of guys that can get you 20 to 30 yards chunks, you know, as they go. But otherwise it's, it's a, uh, it's a pretty flat uh, passing game just in regards to um, long-term success and in, in regards to their ability to really, you know, take away, you know, clustering up the middle of the field. I, I think that the safety can help out a lot in a lot of situations because there's not not a lot of people to burn them up the sides or up the middle. Um, you don't really have anyone that has that, you know, big, big play speed that gives them an advantage long term. I mean, I, Scotty, I mean, Willie Sneed, Marquise Brown, Boykins, and Des Bryant, that's cool. But those are all wide receiver twos or threes on any other team in the, in the division. There's no wide receiver one. There's I mean, no Mike Miller. There's no Devontae Adams. There's no there's no wide receiver one. I think that they're smart. You know, it, there's a lot of wide receivers in this upcoming class, which is something that we we're going to talk about um, towards the end of the, the podcast. But there's a, a huge talent pool of wide receivers in this draft. If you're not taking one this year, if you're the Ravens, you're just not putting Lamar in position to succeed. And, and I think that's a terrible move, especially as he's heading into a contract year. You want to have the ability to get the right feel for if he's the quarterback you want to you know invest behind, which they're going to. Yeah. Um, okay. So for me, that's, it's just been sad watching, you know, Lamar, Lamar gets slandered on social media for things that he can and can't control. Exactly. It's like, everybody gives him his roses when he's like, you know, fighting adversity and it's like putting the team on his back, you know, but then like, once you see the other people, like we're holding other people accountable and they fail at their jobs. It's like, Oh, Lamar. I mean, he definitely did have like a, the first chunk of the season, his arm, didn't look up to par. Honestly, I think it was it was the COVID turnaround. He got COVID. He came out. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm back. You know what I mean? And yeah. <laughs> it was crazy, though, because from his rookie year, because I think they were playing – it was from his sophomore year. They were playing the Rams Monday night. And I remember one of the commentators were saying, like, yeah, they interviewed Lamar. I was like, yeah, what changed so much from your, you know, your rookie year to this year? He's like, he's like you know, to be honest, like, you know, I, I didn't even uh, – he was saying like he didn't even he wasn't really even throwing with the laces like he had to get used to the NFL ball. So I'm just like it like it's so much ceiling that I I see for like Lamar that is like you went from your rookie year like not even being comfortable throwing the ball with the laces then second year MVP. And it's like you know what I'm saying so yeah. if I'm if I'm that organization I'm throwing the house in terms of building infrastructure around the defense is solid like they got Calais Campbell yeah. Yannick Ngakwe. I feel like they got one of the strongest secondaries in the league uh, with Peters, Peters Marlo, Marlo a clamper. Oh my god, I love I love watching Marlo. <laughs> jam, like great jam. But uh, so yeah, I think and actually it's funny. It's like where we're talking about them. 
They're quietly actually one of my dark horses in the AFC just because yeah. I feel like they finally – and because I did a um, – I did like a preseason like fantasy like outlook on like some of the rookies and stuff. And I knew like J.K. like first couple weeks it would be uncertainty to, you know, start him or put him in your lineup just because I don't know about snap count. You know, you still have Mark Ingram there and Gus Edwards was a, a, a dog athlete. But I think they Dobbins. Yeah, but I think I think they started to realize like, okay, like this is why we you know Dobbins is legit. <laughs> like Ray Rice two same number, same body size, like like low center of gravity, and it, it's beautiful what he's been able to do. And I, I think they I think they're riding his coattails into the uh, in, into the playoffs because last year, I mean, even in that Titans game, the run game was kind of abysmal too because I remember like Mark Ingram was dinged up. I think he had like some ankle injuries. Going in the uh, going in the playoffs, so that's what even make me like the Titans even more. I'm like, dang, Mark Ingram back banged up. I was like, I know they're gonna try to get to an early lead, but uh, I think yeah, if they make it past this uh, Titans matchup, they they can they can definitely shank some hell. I think they're on a revenge tour. I think Lamar's definitely been hearing you know the slander and the skeptic. The same thing with the Ravens, but I think they got something to prove. Honestly. The Ravens are my dark horse in the AFC, and I would say the Redskins are my dark horse in the NFC, um, just based on the sample size of what I've seen from them. I think the Ravens have, outside of the problems that they have at the wide receiver position, they have top to bottom, one of the best teams in the league. Defense is just unreal. The Calais Campbell steal for me is just like one of the things where I don't. There are trades where I look at them and I'm like, there's no way if I was a, a GM of another team, I look at that trade and say, I couldn't beat that. Like, you can beat the trade that they did for Calais Campbell. I don't understand that. Like, it wasn't a, a, a huge surplus of resources sent to get Calais Campbell, and he's worth more than they paid for him. So right. I think they have a great defense. I think they're extremely well coached. Um, their coach took them to a Super Bowl in the last 10 years already. I think that Lamar has a ton of talent in regards to um, – being a dual threat quarterback um, in regards to being able to throw the ball when he needs to. I think that, you know, if his receivers show up and his tight end shows up in this game and they get the run, run established early, they're unstoppable Um, with Washington. I think Bruce arena said this best. Um, A lot of people are like, Oh, the the Redskins were six and 10, blah, 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 blah. Bruce even pointed this out because I've been saying this all season. Alex Smith is five and one this season. Like, Four and one, but I think he's five and one. Like, don't downplay that. That's still five and one. Like, he's been getting it done, and and I think that his ability to uh, reduce the amount of turnovers he had is something that a lot of people don't think is important. But it's the same reason why we big up Aaron Rodgers. I think that you're gonna have to sh- really get pressure on him to force him to make mistakes. He's someone that you might you know continuously get to do a three and out, but if that defense keeps playing at the level they do. It might be like a 16 to 10, you know, game <laughs> tomorrow. Like I'm not expecting like this explosive, you know, 41, 27 game that, you know, s- someone might be expecting from that Bucks defense or that Bucks offense. But I think that it, it, it best picture for both teams, you know, Washington comes out competitive, um, really puts pressure on Brady to make mistakes. Cause he is, he's been doing that a lot this season, in my opinion, but Bucks are going to try and get it done without Mike Evans. I think that if you're smart, um, you don't try and trot Mike Evans out there. If he's still hobbled, you give him an extra week of rest if he can make it to the next round and you actually make it to the next round. But I think Washington has a great shot at upsetting the Bucks just based on 
Chase Young and that defense really being consistent. I think Montez Sweat has been very great this season. I think they both got, um, you know, the proper recognition they needed in the league. But more importantly, um, Terry McLaurin, Ohio State guy, has been elite um, on the outside for um, Washington. I think that the biggest thing that really dampened his projections for this year and really stopped him is, you know, towards the back end of the season, Terry had a lot of issues with the QB. He was just not getting the ball. Like, he didn't have a lot of catchable plays, you know, down the stretch. He was on pace to hit 1,000 yards, and then all of a sudden you just see a giant decline in his production based on QB play because they couldn't fucking throw the ball, um, yes. which is why they had to rely heavily on Antonio Gibson and, you know, um, J.D. McKissick. And I think those two are also two big um, playoff factors for the team. Um, so I'm interested to see uh, how that plays out um, uh, this weekend. But those are my two dark horses. I think that those teams – are very underlooked in regards to potential and, and coaching. I think those are two teams that, you know, both those guys have gone to Super Bowls for a reason. You know, um, you d- don't ever think Ron Rivera is not a great coach. Like he went to a Super Bowl for a reason. He he coached he coached Cam Newton, um, and, and uh, Harbaugh's already won a ring, so he knows how to get there. And he knows how to coach a team to get there, and he's remained competitive in the league for, you know, the entirety of my lifetime that I've been watching the Ravens. I don't think there's ever been a period where you could really look at the AFC and not talk about the Ravens. I mean, they have two or three rings over the last 20 years. They've had a lot of 10 win seasons over the last 20 years. So they're just, they're a good team. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah, the only thing you can really like probably harp on is like the past Ravens era was just like, you know, the erosion of Flacco. But even then their team, they're like, you know, nine, nine and seven, 10 and three stuff. But, yeah, I like what you said about your dark horse selections. I mean, I think come playoff times, it really becomes a chess match. Uh, you know, regular season, you get a sample size. You get to see, like, all right, what, you know, what 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 our team looks like on our A game, what do we look like on our off day. And uh, my, my personal dark horse in the NFC is actually the Seahawks. They're not really so much more of a dark horse. I mean, but I just kind of – I'm kind of buying low. I bought in low. Um, you know, during that stretch where you know they lost to the Giants, people were like questioning, questioning them and everything. Yeah, but they turned the corner. I mean, they they picked up Carlos Dunlap second half, and surprisingly, they're a top five rush defense right now in the league too. And Jamal Adams, people were forgetting like that first half of the season, he was pretty much injured. He hasn't played like that stretch, and I was when he's they were like up. damn near. Yeah, he was banged up. Now he's getting healthy. He leads the team in sacks. I mean, he's just such such a difference maker. And, uh, you know, like we said, coaching Pete Carroll, they're getting Chris Carson back. And that was another thing, like, you know, over the past two, three years, the, you know, Seahawks have been like a top of the league and like rushing attack, even, you know, next to like the Ravens and stuff, even though they're so run heavy. But, you know, they would they would run the ball and that was their identity on offense. So, I mean, and it's great now that they got this uh, – sorry about this. Uh, that they have that this plethora of like offensive talent with Lockett, Metcalf, uh, you know, even David Moore is very serviceable. David Moore's been solid this year. Hollister's been good once asked to stand up. There's a lot of players in that team that I think it has to do with team culture, that they just build a lot of trust um, between teammates. Um, I agree with you. Jamal Adams is actually a little bit banged up right now, but he said he's going to play this weekend. I think that he's going to be extremely electric this year because this is his first year in the playoffs, and he's like, I'll die on that field. Like, that's the kind of energy I feel like he's given right now. Um, and then, and then Chris Carson's coming back is a huge, huge win. Um, they have CJ Dallas, they have Carlos Hyde. I think they have a very well-rounded team, but I agree with you on the buy low. 
just based on some of the performances this year, they've made a lot of people nervous. So there isn't a, isn't a high amount of trust in that team. But the thing is, I have a huge amount of trust in Russell Wilson and what he's able to do when in, put in pressure situations. Um, and so I'm, I'm with you. I, I think they, you know, get business done against the Rams. It's the, the next round that worries me a little bit based on who, however, whoever they play in the second round. Um, but it's one of those situations where they don't have any real expectations in regards to, oh, they have to go to the Super Bowl. Like no one's expecting the Seahawks to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and I think that the teams that have no expectations, the Browns, the Titans, the the Seahawks, the Rams, like those kind of teams, the the, the Washingtons, um, teams that were, you know, stay competitive, try and get to the next round. You know, we appreciate you getting the playoffs. You know, this is a tough season to get to get to the playoffs. Those are the teams that are most threatening because it's like you can just play free flowing football. Mm-hmm. You know, anything you do is going to look spicy on the field because it's like, you know, we got there. You know, we didn't really expect you're not the Saints, you're not the you're not the Packers, you're not the Chiefs, you're not the Ravens where um, we're expecting you to make a run at the bowl. Even with Tampa Bay, you know, someone was like, this season's a bust if they don't go to the bowl. That's pressure. If you don't have that pressure on your back, it's like I'm going to come out here and just it's like when you go to the wreck and it's like it's pickup and you see a bunch of people just you don't know. Like, it's not like you're hoping with their homies were like. I don't have to see you in the cafeteria and you can tell people you bust my ass in basketball. If it's a bunch of random dudes, I'm like, oh, I'm about to just, you know, get in my game, get a couple tween tween, like just get spicy with it. Like if I'm out there, it's like, I don't have expectations. Like I'm going to go play great team ball. And so I think that for me, the Seahawks are one of those teams where that is a perfect storm for them because they're very team centric and they're also very determined to, you know, exceed people's expectations, which is something that they've done continuously over the last three or four years. I think the fact that, you know, Russell Wilson has been in the playoffs almost every year of his career is crazy. I mean, he's he's the most winningest quarterback through the first 10 seasons. Um, not not the first 10 seasons, but he's, he's nine wins or more over like the last like eight or nine seasons, which is crazy. Uh, and, and so for me, it's just one of those things where it's like you kind of have to pay attention to him and what his team is capable of. I will say, though, that I will judge him if he loses this weekend because as much as I respect the defense of the Los Angeles Rams, if that team doesn't fillet that QB on the Rams, if he plays Wolford or whatever, that, that equity analyst, that private equity analyst, like, yeah. bro, like he, 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 he <laughs> like I just did a, a drag teams lineup and put Seahawks, Seahawks defense. Cause I'm that confident. I'm just like, look, I'm like, I know Rams defense crazy. I was kind of defeating the fence of which line to play. I'm just like, Seahawks, this sounds like one of them games that they just, they show you, it's like, I'm back. Like, you know, Jamal, Jamal, I'm predicting Jamal probably like a sack and a half. Two sacks. (laughs) It should be lunch. It should be lunchtime for him. I was like, I mean, because, you know, now I think that was one of my biggest gripes. You know, it was like, because I know your your Roger Slanders comes hot. And sometimes it's definitely justified, but it's like, you know, there's other quarterbacks that, you know, we should start looking like, hey, like, you shouldn't lose this game. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, first nah. play, you know what I'm saying? And, like, with Russ and especially with Drew Brees. Drew Brees has been getting way scot-free. He's been, you know, giving us C-plus papers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow I still get a 3.0. I'm like, oh, like, it, it don't read. But, uh, sorry. But, uh, yes, yeah, so it's definitely going to be an interesting – um, def- interesting playoff picture, and I, I really can't wait. What it kicks off at one o'clock today? 
Yeah. I got two hours to go lift real quick. Actually, I have an hour to go lift, Dan. Um, so the the last thing I wanted to sort of end this on, because I, I know that we have to get ready for this game in, in an hour or so. Um, your thoughts on the upcoming draft and some of the acquisitions you think that the team should make in preparation for next season? Okay. So, uh, I mean, I think this, we can all address the elephant in the room. Trevor to Jacksonville is pretty much in a bag. Um, I think, like, I think everybody, and I'll, I'll even give this concession for the Jets. As terrible as they are, they really show spurts sometimes. It's like, dang, like, you can actually be, like, a pretty competitive team. Even just, like, if you look at the latter half of the season, like, okay, they played, they played this, uh, you know, they, they beat the Rams. You know, they played, they played us well. They beat us, like, the Browns. Um, I mean, they, they go out with dignity. Even that Patriots game, I mean, like, you know, Cam really had to hoop. To, to get that yeah. <laughs> like late game drive, and uh, you know they're they were one of the bottom work teams in the league. But I don't think like I'm not high on Darnold. Like I didn't really get his pre draft type. Everybody's like, oh Darnold, and like I was I, I thought people were idiotic for choosing you know Darnold over Allen and even Lamar. I'm like okay yeah Lamar might be more of a project, but at minimum you're getting one of the best playmakers in the draft. But even with Darnold, you know, he shows me, like, he's athletic. Uh, you know, he can get out the pocket. You know, he definitely – and I think it's really more so, like, with quarterbacks are such a delicacy. Look who's been his coach. Like, Adam Gase has a terrible rap record. Look, he was the coach of uh, Tannehill down in Miami. Look what happened after Tannehill left. Lily is, like, an A-plus quarterback ever since he left and got the start job with the Titans, you know. So it's really a product yeah. of the system. I think once the Jets – uh, you know, they clear house, they got rid of Greg Williams, they got rid of Gase. They bring in, like, the right mind. I think one of the hottest names on the market, which I really don't want him to go there. I really want to see Eric Bieniemy get a head coaching job. I really think he would be a great offensive coordinator. I mean, play caller and head coach. Just because that's how you kind of see the league going. Like, they like the attractive quarterback, offensive gurus, make them head coach, couple them with a good defensive coordinator. But in terms of the draft, though, I really want to see um, if there's not a trade-up scenario because I really don't know what the Dolphins are going to do at three because they have a lot of leverage. I can see them trading back in the draft because, I mean, I think they've satisfied most of their needs. Yeah, they would definitely get more capital for that pick. Um, If he doesn't get traded up, I would love to see Fields on the Falcons. And I'm not really expecting him to do much. I'm not going to see him as like a year one splash type quarterback. I honestly think he will benefit more from – having some experience behind either like a Matt Ryan or, if you know, having to compete for that quarterback position. Um, but I think one of the – I would love if the Saints took him. You said what? I would love if the Saints took him. Oh, my God, yes. Saints. Or what? if, if not they – They need a Drew Brees replacement. Pretty much, yeah, a little air to the throne action. Uh, if not, I would really like 49ers as well. Like, Jimmy G is – great serviceable quarterback. I think, you know, the Belichick and the Patriots kind of inflated him more than what he actually was. Like he's a serviceable game manager. Um, but like coupled with that running attack and the, the offensive prowess of Shanahan, like fields really wouldn't have to go there and have to do that much. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, there were games Garoppolo was winning, you know, playoff games, like 11 pass attempts, like unheard of, you know what I mean? Um, you could open up the you could open up the playbook with Fields at uh, the 49ers. Like you'd have a lot more run options, you'd have a lot more play options. Um, and it's just one of those things where 
you could do so much more with that playbook with Justin Fields instead of Jimmy Rapolo in regards to, you know, I just question Jimmy G's ability to read the defense at this point. Like it, there's just so many times where I'm just like, you can't just look at your first read. There are more reads on the field than you think. Like let something unwind, like, you know, maybe stretch the field or, you know, make the, keep the defense honest at some point. And I just don't see it happening with him. Um, I think you're, you're absolutely right with the jet situation. Uh, Tannehill since Gase um, left him is second only to um, second only to Patrick Mahomes and points added, um, which I think is crazy. Uh, and, and so, so for me, you know, just in, in regards to this draft, uh, we talked about it before the podcast, but I think this is one of the drafts where you see a lot of QBs taken. You see a lot of OTs taken. So a lot of um, offensive linemen in regards to tackles um, and uh, linemen um, and guards in this draft. Uh, I think that wide receiver heavy is another another year of wide receiver heavy drafting. I think that last year with like CeeDee Lamb and uh, Henry Ruggs and, and uh, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rieger, a lot of those guys being taken last year. I think it's it's going to happen again this year. I think there's a lot of talent coming out of this year. Um, I think that, you know, just sleeper picks with like uh, Ayuk from the 49ers. Dude was a dog this year. He was top oh, five yeah. this year. The, the Jets got a top 10 rookie wide receiver in Mims. Like there was so much talent taken in this year's draft that I think that you kind of have to expect a lot of the teams that aren't, you know, it, it, currently in position with the wide receivers they have, like the Ravens, I think with the Packers, I think with um, you know the Chargers for me need to 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 draft some wide receivers this year with Mike Williams not not doing too well on the other side of Keenan Allen. I think that how can you watch Justin Jefferson do what he did at the Vikings and say I can't find a guy that can do seventy five percent of what that that guy did this year? If you get a, a rookie that does nine hundred in his first season, it's amazing. Like what? Like nine hundred seven touchdowns in a year? It's great. That's all you really need from a wide receiver too, and which is what you're going to expect from a rookie. Um, and so for me, it's one of those things where I'm excited for the draft because there's a lot of needs to be filled in this draft. And I think that if GMs and coaches play their cards right, um, a lot of teams are going to get better next year. And the teams that get worse are going to have to be held accountable because this isn't a, isn't a draft that you can really fuck up with um, too much. Because I think a lot of these kids might pan out as future pro bowlers in the next um, decade. Yeah, and the one thing uh, that's interesting, I heard Mark Schlereff talking about the draft, and especially because I was talking, it's his, uh, it's his NBA coach. He's the owner of my barbershop down here in Columbus. And he was telling me about, like, NBA pre-draft, how it's been hard to kind of evaluate, you know, with COVID and everything and no March Madness. And I can, you know, I can see that same resemblance for this draft class, knowing it's like those shrunken conference seasons, a lot of players opting out. So I think a lot of the real meat of this draft, like there's definitely going to be some first round prospects that, you know, uh, live up to their expectations. But I think the meat of this draft really going to be day two. Like a lot of, I think, I think this is a quietly good defensive back draft. Like you got dude, yep. JC Horn from South Carolina, stud corner son of uh, Joe, uh, receiver Joe Horn. You got Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. Sean Wade, you know, I know he's been sliding on people's draft uh, draft borders a little bit, but even with him, it's like you're getting a great cornerback prospect um, and O line too. Like a lot of sleeper guards, tackles that you know have had years of experience. And getting back to what the Mark Schlereth quote, he was uh, talking on Fox. 
And he was saying, like, the draft really is sometimes, like, when you think about it, it's kind of like a 50-50 crapshoot. He's like, think about this every year. Every year you see, like, a guy go first round, doesn't pan out because you realize he gets the football and you realize, like, it's it's up here. It's like, you know, some people don't understand the game. They're not as mentally engaged or they don't do their homework. But then year in and year out, you always see an undrafted free agent guy blossom. This year is dudes like James Robinson, uh, uh, seven round pick from uh, the uh, on Washington. Cameron Curl, he's been filling in for Landon Collins. Literally one of the highest graded defensive rookies this year has been balling. Like I've been seeing him in Brian Baldinger, you know, film breakdowns like he's doing his job. So um, even with like kind of the COVID mask and like the 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 hindrance on like evalu- the evaluation process. Like we probably won't see like that many spring games. And uh, I mean, well, spring games usually after draft anyway, but you won't see like senior bowls, stuff like that. I think we're definitely going to see a lot of people maybe slip into positions where, you know, they wouldn't have been before, but blossom even more. Like even for me, like the prospects I really like, I really, I kind of like people to sleep on them. I'm just like, uh, do I really want to see you go to Jacksonville? Or I was like, oh, maybe you can slip into the teens and nah. Raiders or something. Yeah, so uh, that's that's kind of my outlook on this draft. I think it's a lot of O-State heat that people – that people. I mean, O-State is NFL factories, we know it. But, you know, even in a year where it's not as so much marquee first-round town, there's like going to be a lot of year one starters. I think Wyatt Davis is a complete deal at guard. He probably would have went first round last year if he entered. But, you know, and he was teetering the fence with his opt-out and ended up opting back in once he was, realized he was allowed to opt back in. Um, Olave, I think he's going to be, like, similar, like kind of like a Brandon Ayuk type splash where, you know, I think that the headlines of this class are mainly going to be, uh, you know, the Devontae Smiths, Jamar Chase. and uh, But even the other dudes in Big Ten, Rashad Bateman from uh, Minnesota, Rondell Moore from Purdue, uh, and even – a real sleeper that I'm, I'm surprised I haven't heard of more, Justin Ross from Clemson. People forget what he did his true freshman year on that championship run. That dude was a hooper. Him and T. Higgins were, you know, neck and neck. So it's definitely a lot of heat. T. Higgins been balling this year. Balling. I picked him up. I drafted him in this 14-team league, like, late, like, dumb late. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to just stash him on the bench. Ended up becoming my flex for the rest of the year. So, you know, yeah. definitely, I'll definitely keep my eye off on that you know keep my fantasy outlook and stuff like that but yeah I'm really excited for this draft just honestly this is one of my favorite times of the year it's like playoffs are brewing you got national champion on the way and then I love offseason because I just love seeing the different moves and the breakdowns and like how the free how your free agency period is going to set up the draft for you it's it's honestly one of my favorite parts of the year uh as a sports fan so I mean I'm excited it shows you the it shows you it's the most important thing that I get from the offseason is who is, in regards to mentality, who is built to last? You know, who's there to build a product that withstands the test of time? And a lot of times, a lot of people get stuck on, you know, short-term game, like two to three years out. I think Belichick had a lot of help with that organization because that GM and that org was built to, I want five years of quality rather than, um, you know, two to three years of, you know, greatness right now. Um, and, and, and that, that doesn't really make sense or correlate for a lot of people, but it's the way I look at, you know, the Texans versus, 
you know, the Patriots or the Chiefs or the 49ers or the Seahawks, they build something. They have to, you know, lay the foundation, build on top of that, pull, put the siding up, then build the roof, you know, all that kind of stuff. The Texans, they're more focused on let's trade away this pick and this pick to get this person. And then let's trade away this pick and this pick to get this person. It's like, you're not really building around anyone. You're just kind of like picking people that you think fit in your system. And it's not really working. It's the same way I look at um, the Hawks right now. They have a huge amount of cap hit coming into next year. They don't have a ton of um, draft capital and it's because they didn't really build for the future. They didn't build something that withstands the test of time. Um, I think the Dolphins have a huge opportunity to, to be one of those teams for the next five years. If they do exactly what I'm talking about and build for the, for the, te- the test of time. Same with the Jets. Uh, I think the 49ers are in an interesting position where they can sort of revamp. I think they got screwed this year due to injuries. And I think they can come back strong um, with Sol- Solomon Thomas and Joey Bosa next year. Um, I think the Packers have an interesting position where they need to, ad- if they don't win it this year, they need to address their career plans for the future. Um, yeah, Pettin yeah. might have to go. They might have to restructure around, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers, move them some things around because it's clearly just not working if they don't win this year. Um, the Bears are in an interesting position because they have draft capital, but they really need to make sure they have their future locked up for the future or their future locked up for the. Their, for the future, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got it. Uh, and so I think a lot of teams, it, there's there's got to be a lot of focus on putting the right people into position. Um, you mentioned Eric Biani, um, whatever his name is, yeah, EB. Right. I'm just going to call him EB. Um, yeah. I'm that. I'm sad to see that he hasn't been doing well in his interviews. I don't think he's going to end up as a head coach this offseason. Um, a, a report came out that he hasn't been doing – he didn't do well at his, his Falcons interview. He got rejected for the te- Texans interview. He might not have done well at the Jets interview, which is tough. Um, but someone actually reported in the report that he has interviewed for 10 head coaching positions over the last 10 years and gotten um, bad marks at all of them. So I don't think that's a very – Good look for him, and obviously, I want to see him get a head coaching position just to see what he's capable of. But the other thing that like really bothers me about that whole assessment is one that report doesn't help him any further because that means the perception around him is not great. Two, um, who cares? Uh, that's the one thing that really struck me is people are saying he didn't interview well, but it's like his results in the field matter, not the interviews. Um, I don't understand how Adam Gase's results on the field mattered less than his interviews i don't understand that there's tons of coaches where they don't really you know perform that well on the field but they're still getting opportunities i mean steve sarcasian just got another opportunity at university of texas this week we have to stop that narrative that like this one area makes up for everything else in regards to their ability to produce um i I just think it's lazy i think it's very complacent i think that people just use it to sort of bail out some of their more um in, in in opportunist uh, decisions. I think that if he's able to get in somewhere, he'll definitely show what he's capable of and he can reassess um, later down the line. But I think it's just, it's, it's a disservice to him to not get an opportunity to show what he's capable of um, in the limelight. I mean, the fact that uh, what's his name from the Panthers went from LSU to the Panthers and people already talking about him becoming a head coach two years out of, a college position is just absurd to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a ton of college coaches right now that are being rumored to be interviewing for head coaching positions, but a, a, a an offensive coordinator for a, a pro team right now is not you know a more optimal um, a more optimal decision. Yeah, OC of the best so, offense. Like let's you know, let's be clear. Like you know, and even Andy Reid himself, like you know, a goat at coaching is you know yeah. He gave him his flowers to the enemy. He's like you know he has a very 
you know, unsung impact on this team. Like, you know, everybody, you know, rise around them. You see the player support, like, you know, Travis giving them, you know, public support on yeah. Twitter. Like, yeah, man. Honestly, I think his dream spot, which I would love to see, is the Chargers. Um, and I was kind of – I was kind of indifferent with the Anthony Lynn firing, but it's like I understood it. Like I was like, dang, I was like, because when you compare it to guys like Gates who went nine and, and twenty-three as a head coach for the Jets. And I was like, you know, he's giving you something in that sample size. Phillip Rivers Philip Rivers was god awful last year. And their old line sucked. I mean, and they battled the injury bug on defense. It kind of carried in this year. Like you're missing an all pro safety. Melvin Ingram was uh injured for a decent amount of the season. And I mean, and you you have you know, even in a terrible year, like, I mean, yeah, seven to nine, that's bad to your standards. But it's like you you mentioned your rookie, like your future red quarterback. Herbert is a dog. Like, I think Offensive you got rookie of the year. Yeah, either him or Jefferson. In the back. They can be co-O-Roy's for all I care. Like, because they've been. That already, that already announced it. Herbert won. Oh, he did? Oh, no. I'm, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Jefferson <laughs> tweeted immediately. He tweeted the, uh, he quote tweeted the announcement. And he did the Cam Newton meme where, like, Cam Newton looks, he's like, and he just like walks away. And I was like, honestly, like I get it. Like I, I, I understand. Like I wasn't mad either way. Like it was going to be Jefferson or Herbert. I'm not. Yeah. You know, I think they both had cases to it. But if it was a third person that won it, I'd be like, that's just a robbery right there. It had to be Herbert or Jefferson. Um, yeah, for that yeah, this is like so. I mean, and they had one of the largest. I mean, one of the smallest like loss margins you know, in the league comparison to like the Browns who had like, you know, we're literally at a negative point differential and somehow managed to be 11 and five. So, but I think yeah. we can correct that. Cause I mean, you definitely, like we said, quarterbacks are a delicacy from having that much experience with, you know, Alex Smith and the Mahomes and bringing him into the limelight. I definitely feel like he can foster an offense around him. Um, and, and, you know, I think that'll be a, a solid replacement, man. I really hope Anthony Lynn finds another job too, whether it's like a coordinator or not. I know he definitely made some bonehead game management, you know, decisions with like timeouts and just, you know, going conservative with a lead and stuff. But, uh, you know, all in all, I definitely think those two guys sit at the helm of kind of the talent pool. And as well as like Jim Caldwell, like, I mean, I think he should definitely be getting a lot more interviews than he thought. I mean, Marvin Lewis might bag a position. Yeah, I thought he was uh, interviewing with the Jets. You know, it's good for the brothers in the league. I, I definitely, I love to see it. Cause I mean, like, you know, I think everybody kind of just falls in love on the college and the professional level with, oh, he was the coordinator under, you know, this guy. Like, I mean, it's literally a revolving door. Like almost every two years you see a coordinator leave and take a head coaching job from Alabama. Uh, you know, he hasn't kept a coordinator there for a while. Same thing with like, oh, like Joe Judge. Like everybody's, oh, he, you know, under under Belichick gave him a job. He did a good job too. Like I'm not, you know, knocking it. Sometimes it pays off, but. There's definitely that, you know, kind of favoritism and that good good boys network, you know, um, where like people try to pick pick fruit from the from the tallest trees instead of planting planting a new tree and you know seeing uh, how it comes to fruition. But uh, yeah, yeah, very very inter- very interesting um, coaching carousel this off season. I hope somebody can just save Deshaun Watson. <laughs> he needs to go. Like that organization yeah. is a dumpster fire. Um, my last thoughts before we hang off on, on hang up, but, uh, this, this just shows me and I hate bringing this into it, like the lack of opportunity for black coaches in the league. I do think Anthony Lynch should have been fired. I'm not arguing that, but it's just, it's the fact that people like Matt Patricia, you know, had three seasons. Like there's no reason Matt Patricia should have been hired. Um, the fact that we're able to give them an opportunity is just absurd. 
Um, I think that we have to start questioning the ability to get opportunities in an industry that is predominantly black more seriously because I don't give a fuck about the Rooney rule. It's not working. There's a lot of bullshit going around. I don't think you should force teams to do anything because it's their responsibility to put the best candidates out there, but they're just not like Bill O'Brien. Like why did he have such a long leash? Like I never understood that. And so for me, it's just like at the point, like if you're not going to give the black QB a coach or the black coach or black coach a chance, I just, I I don't see the gains that you would get from a mediocre white coach. Like if you're going to, say you're putting the best candidate forward, then do that. Like I, Zach Taylor on the Cincinnati Bengals. Like, I mean, I guess, but you know, you look at Sean McVay, he had one nice season and people are like, Oh, he's the newest tree Belichick tree. And I'm like, no, he's not. The Belichick tree sucks. There's been two good people from the Belichick tree and it's var- one of them's varble. I forget who the other one is, but they suck. They all suck after they leave Belichick. Um, and, and so for me, it's just one of those things where I, I'm just tired of seeing lack of, concrete decisions being made and, and it's one of those things where like i kind of wish i went into sports management at like an iv so i can like be in those positions and start making some of those you know career moves as like a gm or whatever it may be yeah. um, long term but it's tough uh yeah, do you have definitely. any final remarks before we hop off for our listeners today um yeah just kind of like to second that i mean it is um the rooney rules always kind of been a slap in the face like and i thought it was like some headline earlier this year talking about like, oh, like, you know, you they might try to pass a rule where you get like extra draft capital for like, you know, uh, for like interviewing a black coach. And I'm just like, if that's where the bar is set, like it, it, it it's it's terribly low where, you know, we're trying to reward people for doing what they already should have been like, you know, and the game dominated. And you just got to kind of look at on the grand scheme. It's like, OK, like, you know, you look at the. Like we're dominated in the entry level employment, like, you know, as athletes. And then as we climb that way to the top, we see our numbers fade and, you know, the narrative. And that's where it's like I do as best as I can. Like, I know, you know, I might ruffle some people's feathers on my Twitter feed, but I really don't care because, you know, the narrative has never really been in our favor. Um, and it's always just been constructed and controlled by something else that's that's facetious. Like it's it's not true. It's like. So when I ever have the opportunity to, you know, shed light or, uh, you know, give homage and pay homage to, you know, the black coaches and black, you know, executives in the league, I will. Like for the black quarterbacks that receive loads of slander while other, you know, people are getting wild, just stealing paychecks and underproducing, you know, I will. So um, I definitely I'm, I'm seeing small glimpses of. Uh, you know, the landscape change. Like, that's why Andrew Berry was such a home run hit for me. It's like, wow, like, you know, we can really look back, you know, 10 years down the line, like, damn, like, a black GM, you know, brought us, you know, back into the playoffs with some killer offseason. And, you know, it should it should inspire the youth that look like us that, you know, and I'm seeing other people around my age range, you know, making major moves, people in, like, player management, you know, going to law school, get their agents. Because I think they all realize that, you know, once kind of this old good boy network, you know, rolls over time, like it's not going to be drastic. We're not going to see something in the smallest sample size. But as long as we're putting our foot on the gas and driving the engine to, you know, open the door for new opportunities and mentorship too, like, you know, finding mentors in the athletic space. I know I have uh, even down here in Columbus, uh, you know, as a sport industry major and just like, you know, each one teach one. So. 
uh, I hope I see that landscape change. You know, so, you know, our kids and the, the future generations can enjoy equal opportunity and, you know, all, all that good jazz. Absolutely. All right. I appreciate you hopping on today. Um, I'm excited to watch these games in the next couple hours and tomorrow and Monday. Um, last final prediction. Um, I just want everyone to know that the Buffalo Bills are going to win by 30. Um, I just hope you guys know that they're going to absolutely cook the Indianapolis Colts. It's going to be a massacre. Um, I, I, I hope you know that when I, when you listen to this Monday and you review the game and the tape, um, Josh Allen's going to throw for four, four touchdowns, two of them are just, just Stefan Diggs. Um, second team, all pro Cole Beasley is going to feast on that weak ass secondary for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, it will not be pretty. Um, I hope Buffalo is excited because they may go to the Super Bowl this year. But uh, to all my listeners, I would just like to remind you guys all to stay authentic this week. And thank you for listening.